This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tragedy of Puddinhead Wilson by Mark Twain Chapter 9 Tom Practice Sycophancy Why is it that we rejoice at a birth and grieve at a funeral? It is because we are not the person involved. Puddinhead Wilson's Calendar It is easy to find fault if one has that disposition. There was once a man who, not being able to find any other fault with his coal, complained that there were too many prehistoric toads in it. Puddinhead Wilson's Calendar Tom flung himself on the sofa, and put his throbbing head in his hands and rested his elbows on his knees. He rocked himself back and forth and moaned. "'I've knelt to a nigger wench,' he muttered. I thought I had struck the deepest depths of degradation before, but, oh dear, it was nothing to this. Well, there's one consolation, such as it is. I've struck bottom this time. There's nothing lower. But that was a hasty conclusion. At ten that night he climbed the ladder in the haunted house, pale, weak, and wretched. Roxy was standing in the door of one of the rooms, waiting, for she had heard him. This was a two-story log house which had acquired the reputation a few years ago of being haunted, and that was the end of its usefulness. Nobody would live in it afterward or go near it by night, and most people even gave it a wide berth in the daytime. As it had no competition, it was called The Haunted House. It was getting crazy and ruinous now from long neglect. It stood three hundred yards beyond Puddinhead Wilson's house, with nothing between but vacancy. It was the last house in the town at that end. Tom followed Roxy into the room. She had a pile of clean straw in the corner for a bed. Some cheap but well-kept clothing was hanging on the wall. There was a tin lantern freckling the floor with little spots of light, and there were various soap and candle boxes scattered about which served for chairs. The two sat down. Roxy said, "'Now, den, I'll tell you straight off, and I'll begin to click de money later on. I ain't in no hurry. What does you reckon I's gwine to tell you? Well, you... Oh, Roxy, don't make it too hard for me. Come right out and tell me you've found out something, what a shape I'm in on account of dissipation and foolishness. Dissipation and foolishness? No, sir. That ain't it. That just ain't nothing at all alongside of what I knows. Tom stared at her and said, Why, Roxy, what do you mean? 
She rose and gloomed above him like a fate. I mean this, and it's the Lord's truth. You ain't no more kin to old Marsa Driscoll than I is. That's what I means. And her eyes flamed with triumph. What? Yes, sir, and that ain't all. You's a nigger, born a nigger and a slave, and you's a nigger and a slave dis minute. And if I opens my mouth, old Marsa Driscoll'll sell you down the river before you as two days older than what you is now. It's a thundering lie, you miserable old blatherskite. It ain't no lie, nother. It's just the truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me. Yes, sir, use my son. You devil! And that po' boy that you's been a-kickin' and a-cuffin' today is Percy Driscoll's son, and yo master. You beast! And his name is Tom Driscoll, and yo's name's Valet de Chambers, and you ain't got no family name, cause niggers don't have em. Tom sprang up and seized a billet of wood and raised it. But his mother only laughed at him and said, Set down, you pup. Does you think you can scare me? It ain't in you, nor the likes of you. I reckon you'd shoot me in the back, maybe, if you got a chance, for that's just your style. I knows you through and through. But I don't mind getting killed, because all this is down in writin', and it's in safe hands, too, and the man that's got it knows where to look for the right man when I gets killed. Oh, bless your soul, if you puts your mother up for as big a fool as you is, you's powerful mistaken, I can tell you. Now then, you set still and behave yourself, and don't you get up again till I tell you. Tom fretted and chafed a while in a whirlwind of disorganizing sensations and emotions, and finally said with something like settled conviction, The whole thing is moonshine. Now then, go and do your worst. I'm done with you. Roxy made no answer. She took the lantern and started for the door. Tom was in a cold panic in a moment. Come back! Come back! he wailed. I didn't mean it, Roxy. I take it all back, and I'll never say it again. Please come back, Roxy. The woman stood a moment. Then she said gravely, That's one thing you's got to stop, valet de chambers. You can't call me Roxy, same as if you was my equal. Chillin don't speak to day mammies like that. You'll call me Ma or Mammy, that's what you'll call me, leastways when they ain't nobody around. Say it. It cost Tom a struggle, but he got it out. That's all right. Don't you ever forget it again, if you knows what's good for you. Now then, you had said you wouldn't ever call it lies and moonshine again. I'll tell you dis for a warnin'. 
If you ever does say it again, it's the last time you'll ever say it to me. I'll tramp as straight to the judge as I can walk and tell him who you is and prove it. Do you believe me when I says that? Oh, groaned Tom. I more than believe it. I know it. Roxy knew her conquest was complete. She could have proved nothing to anybody, and her threat of writings was a lie. But she knew the person she was dealing with, and had made both statements without any doubt as to the effect they would produce. She went and sat down on her candle-box, and the pride and pomp of her victorious attitude made it a throne. She said, now then, Chambers, we's gwine to talk business, and they ain't gwine to be no more foolishness. In the first place, you gets fifty dollars a month. You's gwine to hand over half of it to your ma. Plank it out. But Tom had only six dollars in the world. He gave her that, and promised to start fair on next month's pension. Chambers, how much is you in debt? Tom shuddered and said, Nearly three hundred dollars. How is you gwine to pay it? Tom groaned out, Oh, I don't know. Don't ask me such awful questions. But she stuck to her point until she wearied a confession out of him. He had been prowling about in disguise stealing small valuables from private houses. In fact, he made a good deal of a raid on his fellow villagers a fortnight before when he was supposed to be in St. Louis, but he doubted if he had sent away enough stuff to realize the required amount, and was afraid to make a further venture in the present excited state of the town. His mother approved of his conduct and offered to help, but this frightened him. He tremblingly ventured to say that if she would retire from the town he should feel better and safer, and could hold his head higher, and was going on to make an argument, but she interrupted and surprised him pleasantly by saying she was ready. It didn't make any difference to her where she stayed, so that she got her share of the pension regularly. She said she would not go far, and would call at the haunted house once a month for her money. Then she said, I don't hate you so much now, but I've hated you many a year, and anybody would. Didn't I change you off and give you a good family and a good name, and made you a white gentleman and rich, with store clothes on? And what did I get for it? You despised me all the time, and was always saying mean hard things to me before folks, and wouldn't ever let me forget I was a nigger, and, and... She fell to sobbing and broke down. Tom said, But you know I didn't know you were my mother, and besides, well, never mind about that now. Let it go. I's gwine to forget it. Then she added fiercely, And don't ever make me remember it again, or you'll be sorry, I tell you. 
When they were parting, Tom said in the most persuasive way he could command, Ma, would you mind telling me who was my father? He had supposed he was asking an embarrassing question. He was mistaken. Roxy drew herself up with a proud toss of her head and said, Does I mind telling you? No, dat I don't. You ain't got no occasion to be shame of your father, I can tell you. He was the highest quality in dis whole town, old Virginia stock. First families he was, just as good a stock as the Driscolls and the Howards, the best day they ever seed. She put on a little prouder air, if possible, and added impressively, Does you memor Colonel Cecil Burley Essex? that died the same year yo young Marsa Tom Driscoll's pappy died, and all the masons and odd fellers and churches turned out to give him the biggest funeral this town ever seed? That's the man. Under the inspiration of her soaring complacency, the departed graces of her earlier days returned to her and her bearing took to itself a dignity and state that might have passed for queenly if her surroundings had been a little more in keeping with it. "'They ain't another nigger in this town that's as high-born as you is. Now, then, go long, and just you hold your head up as high as you want to. You has the right, and that I can swear.' End of chapter 9